You are listening to Intersections with Phil Allen Jr., engaging the issues that matter at the intersection of race, culture, and theology. Before I begin, I want to remind you that my book, Open Wounds, can be pre-ordered now on Amazon. I'm excited that the book will be released on February 9th, just a couple of weeks away. Um, I hope you go out and, and order the book. I think it'll bless you. I think it will inform you. I think it will give you insight as to what we can do moving forward when it comes to racism and dealing with this, this issue um, of race. But I want to talk to you about what's been happening already in, in 2021. Uh, reflect a little bit on 2020. I was listening to CNN, watching CNN, and there was a former FBI official that said it was fascinating for him to see so many white supremacist groups actually come together in unity. He was saying typically they are disjointed, uh, disconnected. Uh, they have distinct forms of white supremacy ideologies. They're, they're separate groups, and they're usually not united like that. He said, but they found something, or someone we should say, to rally around. And that would be former President Trump. And I've been saying this you know, obviously, this man didn't say it on the uh, on on CNN, but I've been saying this. I've said it on this podcast. Former President Trump epitomizes white supremacy or white superiority. And when I say white supremacy, I'm using a definition: um, white supremacy as a political economic system, a political economical system of white dominance and exploitation of people of color. But it is also an undergirding ideology that informs that economic and political system um, that, is, that is espoused by so many all around us. Um, people that may be working next to you. People that may be sitting next to you at church. Uh, your kid, Their kids go to school with your kids. In this type of white supremacy, I'm not talking about the extreme version that we saw on January 6th, which I'll talk about in just a second. I'm talking about the kind that does not need intent or malice to thrive. The kind that's silent. That's just there. Um, I recently posted a video on social media just to help you kind of understand what I'm kind of talking about. And I listed groups of people that I believe are just as accountable for the insurrection at the Capitol on January 6th. Now keep in mind, I got plenty of white folks that are not only friends of mine, some family, um, mentors, best friends um, that may fall into this list. And if I were to have a conversation, I haven't had a conversation with any of them. But if I did, I would I would hold hold to what I shared. I said, number one, Trump is responsible for inciting the people already riled up to go and take over the Capitol building while they were certifying the election. He got them riled up. His speech just feet away from the Capitol building. He said the right things without, um, without being explicit, hoping to give himself some plausible deniability. But I hold him responsible, as many people in, in Congress are holding him responsible. And we'll see how that plays out with the impeachment. 
Republican politicians who refused to hold Trump accountable for the last four years with unwavering support, justifying many things that he has said and done that were clear to many people, particularly people of color, things that he said and done that were, especially things that he has said that were dog whistles for white supremacist groups or those who are sympathetic to those groups. They may not necessarily be in the group, but they're sympathetic towards them. But they didn't hold them accountable. They, they either remained silent or they actually joined in on the rhetoric. They dismissed many things that he said. Um, they let many things go. They justified. They sanitized some of the things that he did. Glossed over them. I said, those who voted for Trump are indirectly responsible. And the group that votes for Trump the most are evangelicals, particularly white evangelicals. They have shown the most loyalty to Trump in the past two elections. When he was running for president, he said, I could stand in Fifth Avenue, I believe it was Fifth Avenue, and I could shoot someone, and I wouldn't lose any votes. Well, he was just about right. And he knew that. So he knew he could get away with so much. White evangelicals voted at an 80% clip in 2016. After all that this man did, showing his true character, they still voted for him at a 75% clip in 2020. And it is because of this allegiance that I make that statement. Not just plainly because they voted for him, but it's because of their allegiance. And Trump being fully aware of this allegiance, he knows what he can get away with. This is why they're held responsible, partly responsible. Donald Trump was only as powerful as the allegiance of his voters. And the white evangelical voting bloc was the most loyal. Had he, if, if what he did had cost him votes from this voting bloc, he would have at least toned some things down, possibly even changed or stopped doing certain things. But he wasn't concerned about that. So all of them, those groups, are directly and indirectly responsible for the, the fruit of the last four years. Allowing him to say the things that he did to incite, to get people riled up. They were already there anyway. But even from the voters, the church, the evangelical church, um, Republican politicians, Donald Trump himself, they all participated. But my question is this. What do we do with this? What do you what do you do with this? What after you saw what happened on January 6th? Given all that happened in 2020. So many people looking forward to 2021 as a reset. And I said in December, I said the virus, COVID, and the virus of racism or white supremacy, it knows no borders. It, it does not pay attention to our lines of demarcation. And already 2021 is looking a lot like and feeling a lot like 2020. We have more than 3,000 people dying daily from COVID-related deaths. 
We were initiated into 2021 by social unrest at the Capitol, an insurrection. Just this past week, over 900,000 people filed for unemployment. 2021 is looking and feeling like 2020. Now, we did get um, a bit of uh, hope last week. Last week, we recognized and celebrated Martin Luther King's birthday and legacy. And then a couple of days later, we witnessed a bit of sunlight in the midst of so much darkness. When the inauguration went on without interruption and introduced the world to a new president, a new vice president, the first black, um, Asian, and woman vice president, and even a phenomenal young poet laureate, Amanda Gorman, displaying black girl magic through her poetry. And as a spoken word artist, I loved the piece. It was probably my favorite part of the inauguration. But I felt like we had a chance to breathe that day in the days following. Like, like you could sense a collective exhale was going on, at least for a, lo- a part of the country. I-, I felt like we were listening. It was refreshing to hear intelligent speech and the creativity of poetry rather than bombastic, loud, and insulting rhetoric. Never knew what you were going to hear from the previous during the previous four years, but it was we, we were listening. I felt. I felt like our eyes were open to new possibilities. We could see the diversity, the ethno-racial um, diversity on that stage represented. And that matters. It may not matter for some, but it matters to a lot of people to see that. Uh, we saw the, 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 the amount of women represented in the program uh, being a break from the normal male hom- homogeneity that we normally see. And that matters too. I felt like we saw the possibilities, what the next four years could look like, possibly the next eight years or more. What could it look like? That's what I felt like we experienced on that day. There was a freshness. There was a newness. And I'm not one to gloss over um, things that are, that are happening that are, that are really people are still hurting from because there's still, there's still a pandemic, by the way. That there's still troubling economic days in the near future. There's still food shortages around the nation. There's still white supremacy in dark spaces. Just because many have been taken off of social media doesn't mean that they don't still communicate. They're now in darker spaces, maybe a little harder to find. But they're also in Congress. And they're open and and emboldened. And I'll, I'll say what's, what's been troubling for me is the quick turn to let's unite. And I know we need to, but, let, but it, it can be a little uh, troubling for me to think that we, we want to jump real quick to let's unite. How do you unite with, with groups that have ideologies and even theologies of hate? 
for just about anyone who is either not white or does not agree with the, with even a less extreme version of white supremacy. How do you unite with that? You can't. So that was concerning for me, the, the quickness. And again, I, I know we there's things that those things had to be said. We got to unite. But I don't, it's not that easy. Especially not after what happened, what we saw happen. That was brewing up. That was stirring up. And it came out. And it's still there. And I don't know if those people can be convinced. That stuff is passed on from generation to generation. People are recruited and radicalized. So I don't know. What did encourage me, though, was to see at least a show of a call to pause by President Biden. And this is where I want to spend most of the rest of my time in this episode. The, the, the call to pause by President Biden so that we can grieve as a nation. Grieve the over 400,000 deaths. And the more people die, the more names I know. You don't experience something traumatic as an individual or a nation and then quickly move towards uniting or finding the solution. There has to be a time where you pause. There has to be attention given to process what we've experienced, not just on January 6th, but also for the last 12 months. I believe that this whole year, 2021, should be a year of healing and self-care and therapy and counseling and prayer should be a year to pause doesn't mean you stop doing the things that you need to do but we have to pay attention to what's going on to what we what's going on with our bodies our minds i remember when 9 11 happened i was in new york living in manhattan at the time the city the nation even the world was in shock but new york for weeks manhattan was silent and slow i'd never seen it like that before People were in, in kind of a daze, a fog. You know, it was like getting hit in a fight in a boxing match. And it doesn't knock you out completely, but it dazes you. And you need a moment. You can't wait till that, that the round ends so you can go sit in your chair and you can sit and process and collect yourself a bit. Because if you keep going, you, you're not going to be able to defend yourself. You're going to get hit again. You're going to get knocked out for real. I had clients, as a personal trainer, I had clients that really didn't talk much during our training sessions for weeks. And normally, they were pretty talkative. They were in a, in a fog. Some of them had family members that were there, friends that were there. Some of them lost friends down there. I know you have to eat, you have to work, you have to pay bills, you have to take care of your kids. But if we aren't careful, I'm not sure that many people can recover from the series of events in the, events in the last 12 months and where we could be headed in the next 12 months or so. And here's what I believe. I believe the hope comes in attending to the collective trauma. And when I say trauma, I mean that event, that thing that happens, that has been spiritually, physically, mentally, or emotionally overwhelming, or beyond our ability to truly process it. I'm paraphrasing that definition, but I'm borrowing from Shelley Rambo's definition in her book, Spirit and Trauma. 
I believe the hope right now is in learning how to heal before we even try to fix everything. There's some things, that's the Congress's job. That's the new administration's job. Even corporate America should be playing a part, contributing to, at the very least, its employees healing, paying attention to that, to them. And make no mistake about it, the people who are most affected by all the chaos in the last 12 months are black, indigenous, and other people of color, as well as poor white people. The pandemic has further marginalized, marginalized people. It's killed black and brown people at a higher rate than any other group. Why is this? Disparities in health care. Disparities in investing in education in black and brown communities as compared to white communities, which then leads to less opportunities down the road for these students to get to college, which then translates to jobs on the lower end of the hierarchy, which means less pay, which means more are essential workers exposed to the virus, testing positive for the virus, being hospitalized and dying from the virus. It's a cycle. That's how racism plays out. That's the legacy of white supremacy. It doesn't need an actor. It doesn't need intent. It doesn't need malice. It's already set the machine in motion. One reason we should sit in the discomfort and pause and heal collectively is so that we can see. So that we can see more clearly. So that we can see not just the obvious but start to see, discern the social structures that we have ignored or, or, or not been privy to, not known existed, the social structures that exist that reproduce inequities generation after generation. You guys knew I was coming here. This is the intersection of race, culture, and theology. So that we can actually see those who are hurting around us. The people who may not recover from the last 12 months are not just the ones who have lost their jobs and homes, but some, they, they may be the ones who are near you, beside you, living behind the smile, masking their pain. The ones who have lost hope in this country, lost hope in some of their friends and family, and even lost hope in the church, which in many cases translates to losing hope in God because of what they've seen and heard from the church. 2021 has to be a time to pause. You wanna, you know, people say they wanna understand racism, they wanna understand um, the, the issues, uh, they, they don't really understand. This is a time for you to pause. Not just at the end of last summer after George Floyd's and Breonna Taylor and Ahmaud Arbery's um, murders, not just after that, and then you're back at it, back to normal. 2021 should be a year to pause so that you can see. Yes, there are books you need to read. Yes, there are conversations that need to be had. But there's some things that, that people ought to do so that they themselves can see. So they can hear. You know, I'm going to close with this. I'm reminded of Elijah, the prophet Elijah. Elijah, man, he, he was 
he he was not playing. He was called uh, by Ahab the troubler of Israel. And usually prophets were not received well by the people. Elijah had had challenged and confronted the, the prophets of Baal. They were really uh, prophets of Ahab and Jezebel. And there were 400 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of, prophets of Asherah. And he, he confronted them. And he basically was saying, how long will you go between two opinions, basically two gods? If you're going to follow Yahweh, if you're going to follow the Lord, follow the Lord. If you're going to follow Baal, follow Baal. But you can't do both. I mean, that's, that's a word right there. For many people who have uh, gotten on this Trump train the past four years, Christians, evangelicals, waving the Trump flag. It's almost like it's Jesus and Trump. How long will you go limping between two opinions? Because they're antithetical, Trump and Christ. <laughs> Not just because he's a human being, but because of what he stands for. Anyway, Elijah challenges these prophets. He says, okay, we're going we're gonna to set up, this, set up your, your altar, sacrifice, and you call on the name of your God. And let's see what happens, basically. And they did so. They set up their altar their, their, for, to, for their sacrifices, and they started calling the name of, uh, of their God. And they kept calling aloud, calling aloud all day. No answer. And then Elijah starts mocking them. Is he relieving himself? Basically, did he go use the restroom, the bathroom? Is he asleep? And so then Elijah sets up his altar, and, and God responds when Elijah sets up his altar. Fire consumes the offering. And the people who were watching this began to praise, Lord, uh, the Lord is God. He is God. The Lord, he is God. But, but Elijah had the prophets seized and killed. And then he began to grieve. I mean, that, that in, and of, in and of itself, that whole experience had to be traumatic. Because now he's grieving. He even says, Lord, take away my life. I'm no better than my father's. I'm no better than those who went before me. He's reflecting on what he had just done. And then he takes off running. He's running. He's fleeing Jezebel. Jezebel's after him. She wasn't playing. After all that drama, all that chaos, all that trauma, he hides in a cave. An angel of the Lord comes and gives him food, has him eat water, and gives him enough where he can be strengthened for 40 days and 40 nights to continue in his journey. And then Elijah encounters the Lord by himself. And the, and the Lord tells him to go stand on this mountain. And then there was a, a wind, a very strong wind that broke the rocks. If we were trying to figure that out, practically what would what was that look like maybe rocks were were blown off and, and they were hitting other rocks and breaking but it was a strong enough wind to, to 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 cause that much damage that strong but the lord was not in the wind and then there was an earthquake and it said that the lord was not in the earthquake these are big bombastic um things that were happening 
that we might expect God of the universe to appear in. And then there was a fire. It makes sense. God was not in the fire. Then it said it was a low whisper. And Elijah heard it. God was, God was in the whisper. God was in the silence. God was in the quiet. God was in the pause. Now Elijah had to be in a position to both hear God and discern where was, how was God speaking in the wind, in the earthquake, in the fire, or in the whisper. In the quiet. People joke and say that Biden is uh, boring. And some of them, I've seen some posts on social media from people on the right calling him Sleepy Joe, as Trump used to call him. My question is, is that what we need? Is that who we need right now? The quiet, the whisper. That will lead us to, to pause, to slow us down. So that we can attend to the wounds. I encourage everybody to let 2021 be a year of pause. I said my word for the year was well-being. In other words, self-care. This should be built into your life, especially those on the margins. For my people, my folks who are on the front lines, on the back lines, or involved in any way, shape, and form in activism, particularly when it comes to race, socioeconomic disparities. You cannot sustain the activism if you don't include self-care as part of your activism. Attending to any trauma, being mindful of what's happening with your body, your mind, your spirit, your emotions. If there was a spike in the last few years of depression and suicide, what do we think is happening now after 2020? And then we come into 2021 with all this chaos. Now we thought we had, we had gotten past it before January 6th. We're getting ready to have a new president. We're going to be able to breathe. There's going to be some calm. And Dr. King talks about the, the last minute breathing power of the old, the old guard. He was talking about something very different, but that's what I saw. I saw that last second breathing power of white supremacy. They had this, this, this symbol in the office, this agent in the office that resonated with them, that actually unified them, surprisingly, even to an FBI official who tracks this stuff. And right when we thought that everything was going to be smooth transition, that last minute breathing power. It reminds me of when Jesus was was uh, was uh, the, the boy, the epileptic boy where, where Jesus was was casting the demon out and it convulsed the boy. Before that demon got out, he didn't just cast him out and the demon just left and the boy was healed. It convulsed him. It was that last minute shake up, that last minute uh Breathing power, for lack of a better term. I suspect that there may be some more efforts. There may be some more breaths of that spirit, if you will. 
You cannot sustain your activism if you don't include self-care. You can't sustain your faith if you don't include, don't include self-care. You can't sustain your job. You can't sustain your parenting, your marriage, if you don't include self-care. If you don't pause, pay attention to what's going on with you, and then begin to seek the resources. Ask someone what resources are available. I said all that just to get to that piece. I wanted to reflect on where we've been the last 12 months and already this, this, this month. We're heading into February already. Pause. Don't be afraid to pause. Life won't necessarily leave you behind. As a matter of fact, sometimes it's the pause that gives you the energy to not only catch up but to pass and, 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 and continue on the path. For some of you, the path that you know God has you on. For others that may not be of faith, the path of that you feel you're calling, your purpose, your passion. Attend to any trauma in your body, emotions, affecting your mind, your spirituality. I'm grateful that you took the time to listen to this episode. I just want to quickly remind you that my book, Open Wounds, which actually deals with trauma, can be pre-ordered now on Amazon. The book will be released on February 9th, just a couple of weeks away. I'm excited. I'm pumped. Um, I can't believe it's, it's, it's that close and it's about to be a reality. And people can read it and it'll be out in the world. So please um, order a copy. Tell your friends. Start a book club. Have the conversation. Thank you once again for parking with me at the intersections. Mm -hmm.